Welcome to the Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs podcast, where we share practical life hacks, shortcuts, designed to shape your best life and business in the least amount of time. I'm your host, David Ubita. Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs starts right now. Welcome back to the Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs podcast, where we share practical life hacks, shortcuts designed to shape your best life and business in the least amount of time. Our next guest is the CEO of Legendary.com. His name is Justin Insalico, and he's going to share the unique strategy behind one of America's fastest growing online diamond stores. You won't want to miss this one. We'll dive into his story when we return. Hello, Justin, how are you? Good. How are you, David? I'm fantastic, man. Thanks so much for taking a few minutes and joining us, hanging out with us here on the podcast. And uh, I, I, I really appreciate, again, the time and then secondly, your story. And um, listen, man, we've got a great, great audience that is uh, curious and interested and ready to hear your story. So uh, tell us a little bit about some of your entrepreneurial journey thus far, and then we can dive into what's going on right now and then where you're headed. Cool. Yeah, so, um, you know, I started uh, 19 years old in law enforcement, and luckily um, I had created a mobile application for law enforcement. I had about two years in at the time, and I, I noticed like a, a true lack of mobility in law enforcement in terms of, um, you know, we had in, the computers in the car and the computers in the station, but, you know, everything was moving to an app-based system. You know, biz- the business world was all app-based, and you know, we were kind of left behind. So I created and launched a mobile application for law enforcement, and it allowed to for to share policies and procedures and school layouts and moral ordinances and criminal code and all these things. And you know, we we, we you know we made a ton of mistakes. Um, there was a ton of barriers to entry in this particular space that we had no idea that we were up against. Um, and But you know, we were able to uh, sell the majority of that company to a private company based out of D.C., and we launched our new project, what we're working on, Legendary Diamonds, um, which is a reverse auction diamond platform that allows consumers to build custom engagement rings, wedding bands, and other forms of diamond and gold jewelry and have wholesalers actually compete for their business. So that's kind of a very, you know, the short version, and I guess we can, you know, dive into it. <laughs> yeah, so that's an interesting um, transition from For law sure. enforcement and probably, you know, putting thugs away to, hey, <laughs> you want to get married? <laughs> yeah, it is. So, it is. so here's, here, here's a joke. So you help people get into one jail, and now you're helping other people get to another. <laughs> 
Well, I don't know if I can get caught saying that. Uh, but... <laughs> I'm so kidding. I'm so I know, kidding. I know. It's, it's, yeah, I know. But we joke around about it all the time. For sure, yeah. <laughs> so talk to us about the whole police thing. How did, I mean, okay, so you were in law enforcement, but what problem uh-huh. were, were you solving in law enforcement that, that put you so, guys in a position to create the app? Yeah, I mean, so so I was I was just young, you know, and and um, not to knock older people, but I was young, and it was kind of an it's an older industry, you know. I mean, it's it's government work, so you know, there's not really much innovation. Um, so you know, we we what happened was really as I went to a sex assault call, um, and when I went to the house, you know, I had a meet with the victim and uh, her mother and. You know, I needed the policies and procedures, but the thing was I had to go back out to the car. I thought it was ridiculous that I have, you know, a, a, a very upset victim in the house and their parents, and I can't just spend the time that I need with them there because I have to leave to go back to the car to check for policies and procedures. Uh, I said, you know, I always have my phone on me. Why can't I access this stuff right from my phone? And, you know, we started to see that it was very similar. Like, that, okay, that's like more of a, you know, a hard-touching one, but, when we were dealing with missing juveniles or missing persons, like we had to get pictures of the kids and drive right back to the station as fast as we could to get the picture scanned in by the dispatcher, and then that sent out to other law enforcement agencies. But I said, if I had an app, I could take a picture right through the device and upload it and send it out to you know my my adjoining jurisdictions and also my own police. So, and I could spend more time with the family and get more information. So. It was it was just one of these things that there was a there was just some lacks in mobility in law enforcement and that's kind of the problem that we were solving there. Brilliant, brilliant. That's what I love about entrepreneurs, man. And I think um, one of the most important aspects or tools that we have as entrepreneurs is feedback loops. So when we have these particular problems that we that we find ourselves in, really they're opportunities where we can help connect the dots and facilitate service to our clients. In this case, you know the community. Uh, that much more efficiently. So I congratulate you. That that's that's just brilliant. Great job. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was it was it was definitely rewarding. But you know, like I said, I mean, you want to talk about some of the struggles in that industry is you know here you are trying to create value in government where there's a lack of innovation, but there's major barriers to entry. The sales cycle is slow. It's I mean, it's one of the worst industries to serve. Uh, in terms of being an entrepreneur and trying to create a for-profit business, it's a very, very complicated and difficult industry to serve, for sure. Um, they definitely deter people from creating innovation in that space. Why, sure. why do you think that is? I mean, I know from a cultural standpoint, it might just be an organizational cultural, culture thing, uh, but why do you think uh, this particular institution is so resistant to change? Um, I mean, I, I, I think it's that you know, it's it's really it is culture and environmental. I think because, you know, I thought I honestly, I mean, this is a big mistake of entrepreneurs. I would assume you know a lot of us are are you know are you know very I guess confident. And I thought I knew everything going going into this. I, said, <laughs> I, I am I said I, I am you know I am a cop, and I understand the industry. I know what we need. So this is a no brainer. Like I'll be able to walk into you know any police chief in the country and be like, this is why you need this, and hmm. here it is. But that wasn't the case, right? I mean, I was like gravely mistaken. Um, but I think really the reason why is that it's one of these things where like we, in the government side, and I, if anybody's listening from the government, I'm, I apologize, but I feel like <laughs> they, they foster this, they foster this feeling of it's okay. Like the status quo is okay. Is that if it's not broke, don't, you know, don't fix it. Right. 
Um, so I think that, that that's kind of this mentality. And I think the reason why that is is because when when I can tell you this from my own personal experience, so this isn't like that we should all feel bad for government employees, but if you if you're too progressive and you go out there and you try to innovate too much, if something doesn't go exactly the way it should have went, then everybody around you is like, well, you should have just left it alone then. See, this is why you should have just left it alone. And the community and the taxpayers and everybody, you know, then, then everybody wants to come out, but you were really just trying to do good, right? As an entrepreneur, we could try to do good and fail, and everybody's like, well, you have to fail six times before you succeed. But that doesn't happen when you're talking about in a government world where you're, you're, you're dealing with taxpayer dollars. So I think that's why there's this, you know, I think I understand why we have that mentality where, you know, they shouldn't be frivolously spending our taxpayer dollars, but at the same time, we should give them a little leeway to try to innovate with the money that we're giving them. And I think that they're so afraid of making a mistake that they, they choose to be good with the status quo rather than be progressive. I mean, I totally understand the financial responsibility that an institution like that would have. I worked for the Department of Health uh, for a couple of years, and one of the cultural aspects that just got on my nerves, <laughs> although they do a great job with, you know, with the, the resources that they have, but, it, you know, the term lifer, hey, are you going to be a lifer? Yeah. You know, are you, are, are you going to be here for the, you know, are you going to be here and retire? And I'm like, hey, to the no, I'm not going to stay here. I couldn't, it rubbed me the wrong way then, and it rubs me the wrong way now, because if anything, like you just said, there's this strict culture policy yes. and, you know, SOP, where if you, if you do anything more, even if you are even, even if you come across as more innovative, you, right. you're, you're looked upon as weird. Like, hey, man, yes. you know, like, dude, we work for the government. Yeah, it's like, doing? dude, <laughs> are you a lifer or not? It's like you, you're betraying the culture. Yeah, I know. You're right. You're so right, though. So it's just one of those things, man, where I, I, I can really appreciate this experience that you had because I've been there, not from a, a police standpoint, but from a, a, you know, a community, you know, uh, state type institution. I right. get it. And I respect every single person who's committed themselves to first responders, law enforcement, which usually get a, a bad rap, right? For sure. Yeah. But you know what? Since Let's talk about that for a minute. As a, <laughs> yeah, as a cop, I mean, talk to me. And let's keep it real, man, because yeah, our, our, yep. our listeners do not like bullshit. We, we keep things real. And yeah. so what are some of the challenges? Let's say name one. Uh, that you've encountered as a, as a police officer, and what is one myth that you want to dispel as a police officer? Uh, I think one of the challenges that we have is like this 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 uh, this perception of law enforcement created by the media. I think that that that's probably the biggest challenge um, is because like you know then when every time I go for a call for service, you know everybody's like there's always this 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 initial feeling of tension when you respond to something, right? And um, yeah, it would bother me. It would always bother me because, I mean, no bullshit, I, I was one of these guys that just wanted to go out there and do good, right? I was a Boy Scout, just wanted to go out there and do good. I was more worried about the community than I was about going out and locking people up for, for drugs or all these things. I mean, if that was necessary, it was necessary. But for me, it was more about the community. And I would respond to calls, and there would be this, this tremendous amount of tension because of things that are portrayed by the media. The one thing that if I could dispel anything about law enforcement, it would be that, you know, you have to really do your research 
I mean, I'm not saying I know for a fact that there's that there is bad cops out there, okay? Mm-hmm. But there's bad everybody out there. There's bad doctors. There's bad lawyers. There's bad judges. There's bad people. There's bad everything. But there is bad cops out there. The problem is that what you see in the media is, you know, there's millions of inter- of, of law enforcement interactions a day, millions, and you're seeing one or two that happen, maybe quarterly when they happen. Now they shouldn't happen at all. I get that. But cops are also just human beings. You know what I mean? They're not they're not robots. So you know, it takes it takes both sides, I think, to really kind of come to the middle and and you know, the community and also law enforcement to come to the middle and be like, Listen, you know, we're human, you're human, mistakes are gonna happen but out of the million interactions that happen on a daily basis, you know, you see, obviously, because they portray everyone on the news, you see when the bad ones happen and it's not, I mean, it's not as bad as people think for millions of interactions a day. So I, I like to dispel the, the the theory that, you know, on a daily basis, cops are just going out and beating and killing people because it's not really what's happening on a daily basis. Yeah, so I, I do understand that the media tends to sensationalize things. I, I get it. At the same time, uh, I'm not here to bash cops, and I'm not here to, uh, you know, this conversation is not about throwing anyone under the bus. Of course. I mean, I appreciate the role of police officers. We need them. First responders as well. You know, we need them. And uh, I personally want to thank you for your service. So, oh, thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure, man. So let's go ahead and take a look at um, take a look at your the entrepreneur side sure. of yep. your personality. You know, because <laughs> you you obviously make a difference every day. But you you started one company, you sold that one, and now you are building this. This uh, this new business. Uh, tell us a little bit more in detail what you do. I know that you it's in diamonds, and then yes. what's the problem that you're solving for your clients? So I mean, I think you know, I think it's it's you know it's similar. Right? I mean, I always talk about like value chain in my head, and you know what we're trying to do is is take the is move the value chain as far back down the supply chain as we can, as close as we can to the actual mines. And that reason is twofold. Um, one, we offer the opportunity for consumers to, to build custom pieces or pieces that are already available on the website. I mean, basically, we can run the gamut from anything you really want to do from a jewelry perspective. And then once it's built, they submit it to go to bid. And um, I, 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 like a plethora, it's really honestly, it's about 36 side holders and about 22 um, like mid-level wholesalers will actually bid against each other for their business, right? Mm. So the idea there is creating this competitive um, scenario amongst the site holders and wholesalers so that consumers, A, are getting, you know, prices that are that are much lower than they would find at a retail store, and then B, you know, also the comfortability of knowing that, like, they're competing against each other. So, you know, you know that you're getting at least very close to their lowest available price. Um, like what they're willing to sell it for, you're getting pretty close to their lowest. So um, in most of the cases, I, I mean, I know some site holders actually go lower because so, – so the way the diamonds work is that they have these inventories of – like site holders get the stones right from the mines, right, or really from De Beers or Al Rosa or one of the big mining companies. Mm-hmm. Site holders get the stones right from there. Um, so they, they are the – you know – Without getting it directly from the mine, site holders are the, the furthest down or the, the closest to the top of the supply chain. And these diamonds are still rough, is that correct, or are they polished? And so, polished? well, once the site holder gets it, um, they're, they're twofold. Most site holders deal in rough and polished, so they deal in both. Um, 
So that's how close we're getting to to the start of this, is that, you know, these people are dealing in both rough and polished. Because once you move down the supply chain, then all you can get is polished. But by that time, you're already talking probably just there. Uh, once it goes from a site holder to a wholesaler who only deals in polished, you're talking about 10% markup already there, mm-hmm. just there. So, I mean, it, it's got a lot more stops down the supply chain before it gets to a retailer. But right there, you're talking about um, probably uh, 10% markup, right from the side holder to that, that first uh, large wholesaler is about 10% markup. Got it. So, um, so what we're trying to do is, is for the consumer, is as close to the supply chain as possible, which we've been able to do. Um, and we actually just brought on a gentleman – um, that was a CEO of a large bank that dealt specifically in diamonds out of Antwerp, Belgium, and he he recently left the bank, and he's now on our board of advisors. And basically, what we brought him in for was obviously his incredible uh, industry knowledge, but also for those introductions to the mining companies, because what we would like to do is you know work directly with the mining companies and become site holders for the beers and Alrosa and etc. Because I think that for us. A, it it creates a tremendous amount of value for the consumer, and B, it also creates a tremendous amount of value for the the regions where these diamonds are coming from. So, I'd like to talk if you if we could about the second phase of this value chain. What I'm talking about is for the actual uh, people where these diamonds are coming from. So, one of the major things that are super important to us is ethical sourcing. Sure. And. You know, we really believe in that, and we only deal with site holders or wholesalers who are registered with the RJC, which is the Responsible Jewelry Commission. And then what we're doing right now is we're working with members of the government in Botswana, to, which is an, an African country that's, that has an ample amount of diamonds. They produce um, most of the diamonds that come out of Africa. We're actually from Botswana. And we're working with them to try to create value there. So what's happening in these countries is that, yes, they have diamonds. Yes, the government is rich off the, you know, the, just the gross sale of diamonds. In Botswana, they do it right. There's a lot of social programs. It's actually a really great country, um, and they do a lot of good with the money they make from diamonds. The same is not true for other countries in Africa where, you know, the diamond profits are getting scalped by, you know, rogue members of the government, the military, et cetera. But in Botswana, we're working with them to create more jobs um, because what, what's happening is these, these big mining companies are going in, mining the stones, hmm. paying the country, which does good for the people, but then taking the stones and going to India or going um, to other places in Belgium where the stones are cut and polished. Hmm. Now, diamonds have been a major thing in Botswana for, for decades, um, and what we wanted to do and there's a lot of skilled, talented cutters and polishers there that are out of work because, you know, this, this is the way the process works. They take the diamonds out and, you know, they, the beers buys them for pennies on the dollar from the country mm-hmm. and then moves them out and gets them cut and polished in India or in Belgium or some other place around the world. So what we wanted to do was, you know, create value there also by, A, moving our supply chain to as close to the mine as we could, which would be in Botswana, and then B would be to create jobs there and use local cutters and polishers. So that's kind of what we're working on from a, I guess you would call it a 
humanitarian uh, side of, of Legendary is trying to really create value in this diamond market, not just for the consumer, but also for you know, the people that are part of the process. What a great perspective. Uh, and and I, I appreciate you mentioning this simply because I think as entrepreneurs, we get so bogged down with with different aspects of running a business from putting out fires, keeping, you know, I I often share the visual image of a small (laughs) business owner, like the guy at Ringling Brothers, you know, rotating all the plates at the simultaneously, (laughs) trying to keep them afloat and smiling and happy at the same time. And we're like, this is, there's no reason to be happy here because there's way too many. And um, sometimes we just get so overwhelmed. I, I appreciate the fact that you, are seeing the the really what I would call the imprint of of the opportunity for your business to make a a a difference in a country that could certainly use it. Yeah, I mean, I I appreciate that, and you know, I'll tell you, it's it's one of the things that keeps you for me at least. You know, other entrepreneurs and everybody's going to find their own way, but for me, you know, when I don't know where the next, you know, where the next round of funding is going to come in or, or, you know, or if I'm going to beat my numbers and all these, all the stresses of running a new business like we're doing now. Um, what keeps me sane is knowing that, look, at the end of the day, we're doing the best we can to A, you know, really kind of up, uproot and turn the diamond industry on its head and B, you know, we are trying to do good. So at the end of the day, if we, you know, if we fail, we fail, but, um, for me, it's the only thing that kind of keeps me sane, honestly. It just keeps me, it keeps me kind of going, you know, uh, because it is. I mean, it sucks. You know it. I know it. It's, it's, it's terrible. It's every day is, you know, there's a million one problems, and oh, you know, it's a little too big. I need to, you know, I need to return, and the logistics of, you know, shipping this stuff back. I mean, every, every day is just, you know, it's, it's. You're right. You're always fighting fires, but for me, it's kind of the light at the end of the tunnel. I know that. When we can make those things happen for for these countries that 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 are that really need it and that you know that we're creating value not only for our consumers but for you know the kind of the world as a whole, I think then you know for me that's really what uh, keeps me driving forward. Yeah, I think one of the greatest lessons I've learned in entrepreneurship is not to chase the money but to chase right. value. I agree. And understanding that every time I solve a problem for someone. It is an opportunity for them to see me as a uh, a viable solution, and they'll pay you for that. I agree. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I 100% agree with you. I think that it's one of the biggest mistakes that entrepreneurs make. You know, you hear everybody talk about hustle, and which is true. I mean, you need to hustle, but you know, I think that the the terminology hustle gets mixed with you know chasing money, when I don't think that's necessarily the case. Um, I have a lot of entrepreneurs friends that will. You know, oh, I said, hey, listen, you know, I had this great guy, and he's looking for an introduction. And you know, my buddy will say to me, oh, well, how much, how much is he paying for the introduction? Mm. And I'm saying to myself, well, why can't we just do something good for him? Yeah, why pay can't it we forward. Just, yeah, why can't we just? He's an entrepreneur. We're part of this community. Everybody talks about how this community is, is you know, we're all in it together. And if you ever need anything, but you know, then he's going to ask me how much is it for the introduction. And you no, know, I mean the, the the guy that came to me for help. I mean, good thing for him that you know I've helped my buddy out a million times. So I said, well, then don't do it for him. Do it for me then. Um, you know, because I I don't believe in that. I mean, yeah, of course, 
at some point, somebody is just going to, you know, you, you, you obviously need money is what, what keeps the dream alive. Right. I mean, sure. I told, I'm not, I mean, I'm not naive to the fact, Sure. but, but at the same time, there's some times where, you know, you don't need to worry about the contract or the money. Sometimes if it's just a brief introduction, just make the introduction. Because you don't know what will happen as a result of the introduction. Right. Maybe um, it's a billion-dollar idea. You have and, and, no and, idea right. what that yeah. person might – you know, the resources they might have or the relationships. I agree. I agree. I mean, listen, if it's a long-term thing or something that they need help on, uh, you know, they need a sales consultant or they need things going forward, then I agree. Then figure out what the money looks like or figure out what the relationship is from a financial perspective. But, you know, if it's just a brief introduction, just don't be afraid to make the introduction to help somebody out. Sure. I mean, that's what I did. This is how this whole thing started. So I'll just tell you a very brief story. So a buddy of mine who is not at all involved in business, which is going to be obvious by what I'm going to tell you, calls me one day. He's like, I, he goes, I got this great idea. Uh, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And I said, okay, you know, what, what are we looking at? He said, I'm going to sell weight loss coffee. And I said, wow. I mean, sounds good to me. And he's like, yeah. He's like, you know, it's got Garcinia Tambos in it, and it's kosher, so you know we can really sell it to the Jewish community. And because you know, where we live, there's a there's a very large uh, Jewish community that's around us. So he's like, we can sell, you know, we sell it into the community, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So I said, okay. He's like, I really need you to come to this meeting for me. I need you to kind of figure out what the numbers look like. So I'm like, what meeting? He's like, just just show up, blah blah blah, the Ramada Inn. Said, okay. So I come and. I'm doing my friend a favor because he's a good friend of mine, and I know he's not, you know, savvy whatsoever in business. And I walk into this meeting, and I realize what it is immediately, which I didn't realize before. It's it's multi-level marketing. Got it. Right. So I'm like, oh man, like I got to sit through this now, and we talk about the product and yada yada yada. But I'm in this meeting, and and I, I happen to start talking to this old man, and this old man is telling me about how he has a pita factory and. He's like, oh, you know, my son, and, and and the reason why the thought was even in my head is because my partner, who I started the the police application with, was was looking to get engaged. So he goes, I said, oh, you know, and, I, and listen, if anybody's listening, it's just it's just truth, and and they wanted me to keep it transparent. Of course, I had to ask him about diamonds because he's from the Syrian community uh, in Deal, and there's a shore. I said, I have to ask him about diamonds. I'm sure he knows somebody, so I asked him about diamonds. And he said, actually, my son. Um, is in diamonds. I said, okay. I said, can you make an introduction to your son? He said, yeah, no problem, of course. So here I am at this meeting that I don't really want to be at. It's about multi-level marketing, about weight loss coffee. And he introduces me to this to his son who is in diamonds. And his son happened to be connected with the largest site holder in New York, which is the Cooperman Brothers. Um, and that's how this, this is how Legendary started. This is how I conceptualized Get it out. once I met with them. Yeah, yeah. And I went and met with Cooperman Brothers. And I said, listen, I have this idea. And he was like, this idea is great. And he's like, I'll definitely be one of your side holders. And the whole thing started because I was willing to just go and listen for my buddy because he had no idea what he was doing. And, uh, you know, that's why, I, that's why I really kind of promote doing good and just, you know, just do some things you don't want to do, you know, uh, for somebody. And that's how this whole thing started. And, you know, here we are. And a year later, we've done 250000 plus in sales and, you know, we're on our way to raise some more money, and, you know, things are good. So, I mean, it, it, it's about doing good. Sorry. Sorry for the rant. But no, I man, that's, that I think is the perfect life hack to share with the audience, what you just said right there. I couldn't have said it better because it's so true. 
sometimes we envision things and if, if you were like a dick and like said, <laughs> you know, to your friend, ah, you know, shut the hell up. You don't know what you're doing. Right. right? But you said you were in a place of abundance. You were in a place of, of giving and you understand the value of paying it forward. And when you, with the right attitude went in, of course, the disappointment sit in like, ah, Damn, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah, I, I, he, I he got me, right? That's kind of like right. the first thing that would have come to my mind. But then go figure. I don't yeah. believe in accidents. At least that's what Kung Fu Panda tells me, right? <laughs> I do not believe in accidents. Great movie. Great right, reference. right. So it's like one thing led to the next. And then look, look at where you are and where you're headed. What a powerful life hack to share. Thank you for that. Of course, yeah. I mean, I thought it was it was interesting, and it kind of just came to me. It was just one of those one of those stories um, that you, know, you forget about that sometimes. You know, you you and, that, and that's the other thing too. Like, I'm, I'm glad I mentioned this because you know, as 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 you get stressed out, right? I mean, every day I wake up, even though we're even though we're we're making sales and things are relatively good, there's still there's still the fear of the unknown every single day. Because I know that one small mistake, which I've made in my first business, which I'm hoping not to make again, uh, one small mistake could bring the whole thing crashing down, right? I mean, and especially now that we're not in a, I mean, this is, we're talking about technology, but we're also talking about now we're also a brand and we sell a product. So, and we sell such a sensitive product. So it's not like I'm selling you just gold chains where if there's a mistake, like, you're probably just going to send it back, and you're not going to really rip me apart on the internet, right? So, but, so Justin, if you don't mind, can I coach you for a moment? Sure. And, and the reason why I, I, I'm asking you permission is because I, I most people are not coachable, and and but I know that and have a sense that you are. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to think about things just a little bit differently, because I see this all the time, and as a coach with CEOs, etc. There is a there's a common thread, and that is the fear. It's not the fear of the unknown. It's the fear of making a mistake that you're struggling with. And so what I want to ask you to do is to let's defragment the whole mistake uh, interpretation, right? Sure. The whole mistake story. So whatever happened in the past, especially when it comes to uh, an outcome that was that didn't meet your expectations, we call those mistakes. But the reality is, if we were to actually assign a different story or a different interpretation, all it was was just a way that didn't work. Mm. So if we take a moment back and realize that that, that that version of you that made or perceived that decision as a mistake, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respectfully say that's not true. Right, I, I can see what you're saying. I can yeah. see what you're saying. It's, it's yeah. not true. Regardless of what the payment of that decision was, whatever the loss was, the reality is you gained more than you right. lost. Because look at where you're at now. So I'm gonna sure. I'm gonna invite you to not to, to just come to the place and just come to terms with that decision as one that you made and you felt was the best decision to make based upon the information you had, based upon the access of, of relationships and resources that you had or what you had access to at, this, at, the, at that moment, and, and be okay with it. And so from this point on, I'm going to encourage you to remove the mistake language from your vocabulary. 
because there are no mistakes. There's there's just moments or life lessons that will take you closer and closer to whatever it is, whatever destination you are going to. Is that cool? Cool. Yeah. No more mistakes. Yeah. There there are no mistakes. (laughs) Just and I agree with you. You're right. You're you you are right though. I totally agree. Yeah. Just life lessons. And the fact that you are in the trenches getting work done and making it happen tells me that you're coachable, that you're driven, and more importantly, your heart's in the right place because you genuinely want to not only serve the community that that, that uh, you're getting your product from, but that you also want your clients to have a great experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah, listen, yeah. man, listen, um, I appreciate, let's wrap up this conversation. We've already, normally we do maybe about 15, 20 minutes, but it was such oh, a, really? <laughs> yeah, but, but it was such a good one. We have such a I great, know. you know, rapport here, but yeah. wh- what I want to do is just thank you again for sharing. Uh, we're going to be posting your website and stuff uh, on the okay. promo, but uh, hey guys, right. when we come back, uh, we've already shared this week's coaching tip with, because we did one with Justin, which was fantastic. <laughs> And uh, we'll catch you in the next segment. Thank you for listening to the Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs podcast with your host, nationally featured author, speaker, and online marketing strategist, David Ubeda. We'd love to hear from you. Visit our Facebook page right now. And tell us about your favorite episode at Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs. And make sure to share this episode with someone else. This would also inspire. Until next time, continue to grind, grow, and give.